0: Hello, and welcome to the Lydia McGrew channel. I'm going to be talking today about what I'm going to call six obfuscations concerning Jesus' resurrection body. So, I hope you're ready for that. Um, I'm getting most of these from... uh, the New Testament scholar Dale Allison uh, some from his book and some from a recent dialogue that he had with Justin Bass on the unbelievable show and what I say here is not meant as a criticism of uh Justin bass I just want to emphasize. Uh, It's just that I have my own comments on what they said to one another. And in particular, I thought that the things that Dr. Allison said there were instructive, in a sense, because they showed how confusion can arise and be spread concerning Jesus' bodily resurrection. I think that um, it's very important for us not to think that people who are actually questioning Jesus' bodily resurrection... Are merely having a difference of opinion on some subsidiary issue like the precise nature of Jesus' resurrection body, and uh, Dr. Allison is in fact doing the former of those. He is challenging the robust bodily nature of Jesus' resurrection. He's questioning it. He's calling it into doubt, and. Um, But then there's a lot of confusion created by his trying to bring in other thinkers and imply that they had similar problems or something like that when they're undeniably Orthodox. And I think that's uh, not legitimate and it's just creating fog surrounding the issue. In his most recent book on the resurrection, uh, Dr. Allison rhetorically asks this about Jesus' resurrection body. What is the advantage of an interpretation of the resurrection so literal that it forces the conclusion that the risen Jesus retained his kidneys and genitals, had a body full of carbon and oxygen atoms, and sported a material costume? Now, If you cannot hear the disdain in that quotation, then you cannot hear that it's pretty obvious that there is a lot of uh, dismissal there of a literal physical resurrection according to which Jesus was appearing to the disciples in the same way that, you know, I speak to uh, a friend when I and the friend happen to be in the same room. A physical resurrection where Jesus had a body that you could actually touch and they could actually eat and so forth, that's just this this literalistic uh thing that, oh, you know, did he have his kidneys and genitals? It reminds me quite a bit of a passage in uh, The Horse and His Boy, a book by C.S. Lewis that I recently posted on my author Facebook page, where the horse Bree is saying, well, of course, Aslan isn't a real lion, because he'd have to have paws and whiskers and so forth. And, And then Aslan appears and comes to them and, um, it shows Brie, who is terrified that he has real whiskers, um, and that's what this reminds me of. Oh, did, did the resurrected Jesus have kidneys and genitals? Um, well, uh, the the historic teaching of the church has always been, and I don't just mean the church with a capital C, I mean Christians, has been that he was, at a minimum, physical in the sense that you could have touched him if you were there. Anybody who was in the same room could have seen him unless he actively did something to prevent it. Um, And that he was, he was physical in the same sense that you and I are physical. His body may have had extra properties or extra powers or something like that. But that just as we are physical and can be physically present in a a normal, ordinary way and be perceived and so forth, so was he. So I'm going to be discussing what I'm going to call six obfuscations and these create confusion. And I think we want to avoid that confusion. So obfuscation number one, all physical bodies are mysterious. So you'll hear this. and and Dr. Allison will sometimes bring this up. Well, we don't really know what matter is. Something something about quantum physics and the physicists, and you know, what are we really made up of? Matter is very mysterious, etc. That is a classic red herring, where you're just kind of, hey, look over there. You know, you're you're distracting attention. Um, a child or a person who knows nothing of physics. Can still talk about a person who is physically there, and he can talk about it in terms of uh, touching and seeing and intersubjective ability to uh, converse with and and so forth, being uh, susceptible to uh, to sensory manifestation and and so forth. And this just distracts attention from the fact that. Uh, People who question Jesus' bodily resurrection are saying that he was more mysterious than we are. You know, it's not just like, oh, well, we're all mysterious. Okay, fine. Then let's just all be physically mysterious together. But Jesus was present uh, to his disciples in the same sense that I am present to a person who is in the same room with me, and there's no need for talk of physics. So that is just an obfuscation. It's just creating confusion. Obfuscation number two is a method rather than a statement. And this is the method of question bombing. I, I got that phrase from my, my friend Tom Gilson. I don't know if it's original with him, but question bombing is something you see quite a bit on social media, where someone will just ask question after question. And the implication is, if you can't answer all those questions, you don't know what you're talking about, which is often not true. And this is why question bombing is illicit. So we get this question bombing, uh, where was Jesus between his appearances? So was Jesus off in some private place? Maybe he was, okay? Um, did Jesus need to eat? Notice that that distracts attention from the fact that in the Gospel accounts he is able to eat. You can be, imagine that someone could be completely physical in the sense of being able to eat, but had some kind of superpower that he didn't need to eat. Who cares whether we can answer, did he need to eat? Could he be killed? You know, did he sleep? If the disciples had followed him, um, where would he have gone? Would the, you know? Would they have seen him or not? Allison will sometimes bring up the fact that it appears that Jesus can't be followed. Um, actually, this this somewhat contradicts John twenty one, where uh, Peter turns and sees the beloved disciple following them. So evidently, they are move in motion at that time. And says, you know, Lord, what about this man? So, um, but all these questions, you know, things we don't know. What kind of atoms was he made up of or whatever? You know, if you shot him with a gun, would would he have died? You know, these kinds of things. Um, the fact that we can't answer all those questions doesn't mean that we have no concept of physicality and bodily resurrection. Um, I'm gonna sometimes be bringing in, you know, science fiction or uh, that kind of thing here just to, to kind of stretch our minds a little. Does anyone doubt that Superman is physical, okay? He can carry Lois Lane, right? He can um, grab things and hold them up. He has additional powers in the stories, but he's still physical. So the fact that you can't answer every single question and that the it hasn't all been spelled out about, you know, just how far do uh, Superman's powers extend, you know? Or uh, the Doctor in Doctor Who, he can regenerate when he's shot. And My daughter calls that the the Calvin Ball of science fiction because they they just make stuff up. It's not even always consistent. But he's physically tangible, okay? So, uh, no, I'm not saying that I know that Jesus was like Superman or like the doctor. But my point is we can easily conceive of a person who is physical even though he has additional powers and we don't know the extent of those. So, question bombing, illicit method. All right, three Jesus was hard to recognize. You hear this one a lot. There are, uh, by my count, three gospel stories that sort of imply that Jesus was hard to recognize or say outright that someone didn't recognize him. Mary Magdalene, uh, Disciples on the Road to Emmaus, and this one is, um, you know, so easy to explain that I'm almost reluctant to include it, but Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in John 21. Um, I want to emphasize that I believe that um, Jesus was not generally hard to recognize there are definitely stories where they appear to recognize him right away. The women on on the road when they're going to tell the other disciples in Matthew Jesus meets them they seem to recognize him right away uh, the men and women probably there were women there too in the upper room in uh in the Gospel of John and in the Gospel of Luke, they seem to recognize him immediately. So uh, it's not like, you know, he's always hard to recognize. Two of those three are very easily explained. You know, and, and I was just reading Allison's discussion of this, and he acts like this is some desperate ad hoc maneuver, but actually very easily, naturally explained. Uh, Mary Magdalene is is weeping, you know, just really, really weeping. And she also, it looks like, turns away from him at first. I'm going to have a discussion of this in my forthcoming book, Testimonies to the Truth, where the, the number of turns in John 20 seem to imply that when she sees Jesus and he says, you know, Who, whom are you seeking? She appears to turn away from him right away. So she's not even looking steadily at him. Um in John 21, it's early in the morning. It's very explicit about this. He's standing on the shore. There could easily not have been a lot of light there. And the, the beloved disciple recognizes him. So it's not like he is slow to recognize him. Uh, and he says, you know, to Peter, it is the Lord. So um, there's only one where they're having a lengthy conversation, they appear to be close to him in normal lighting conditions and don't recognize him, that's on the road to Emmaus. Luke expressly says that their eyes were held so that they wouldn't recognize him. And say what you will about this, that seems to imply that the default is is recognition. But let's go a step farther. Let's suppose that Jesus, I'm just making this up, maybe looked a lot younger than when they had known him okay, or that there was some difference in his features that meant that some people immediately recognized him and some people took a little while. Does that call his physicality into question? It's not clear exactly what the theory is according to which the difficulty in recognizing is supposed to call his physicality into question. I don't think anybody uh, who could read those stories would imply that his face looked like a blank blur or something. Um, they, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus think of him just as a stranger. They say, are you a stranger to Jerusalem? So they see a, a human, what appears to them to be a normal human being with a normal human face and so forth. Um, another Doctor Who allusion, he changes his whole face. In between, and yet he's physical both times. I'm not saying that Jesus changed his whole face, but what I'm saying is that it's it's very hard to get out of this non-physicality. It's also something that, of course, the authors didn't have to mention at all. If 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 they felt like there was something wrong with it, uh, it is an odd detail at times. But they they do mention it. Okay, so I don't think that one calls his physicality into question at all. Obfuscation number four. This one's a favorite. Jesus could walk through walls. This one goes back. um, Thomas Aquinas discusses it as an objection. I believe it's discussed as an objection in uh, the Contra Calsum. Um, And David Friedrich Strauss, who is a famous skeptic of the 19th century, who's a big favorite of Dr. Allison, he mentions him again and again as supposedly laying to rest gospel harmonization forever, actually brought this up as an outright argument against the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. You know, Strauss didn't beat around the bush. He was clearly and unabashedly and openly a skeptic of the resurrection and just said it was impossible because if he'd really been physical, he couldn't go through walls. Um, So this is really pushed the argument seems to be that oh he was more like a ghost he was non-material so whoo, you know he could come through the door. Uh, it's in John 20. It mentions twice that the door was shut. I'll waive the question of whether that means locked or not. It can it can mean locked. It's sometimes used to mean locked. So fine, let's take it that that means it was locked. Uh, I'm going to start my answer to this obfuscation by pointing out that in his life. Prior to, his res, uh, prior to his death and his resurrection, Jesus could walk on water, at least according to the accounts. Again, you know, we're, we're taking the accounts, and the claim is that the accounts seem to, um, <clears throat> you know, indicate that he wasn't physical. That's the claim, because in the accounts he can walk through water. Well, in the accounts of Jesus' life prior to his death altogether, he could, he could walk on water. In the accounts of him after his resurrection, he could come through, it seems like, a locked door. So what? It would be a very poor argument to say Jesus could walk on water, therefore he was never physical. Okay, there therefore, you know, let's let's just go let's just go wholeheartedly and deny that Jesus has come in the flesh at all, uh, and say, Oh wow, these accounts seem to imply that Jesus didn't have mass and weight because there he is walking on the water. No. It's a miracle. The the whole point is that he was in the account that he was able to do something that you wouldn't expect a person to be able to do. Well, why shouldn't his coming through the walls also mean that he was able to do something you wouldn't expect someone to do. After all, he's just risen from the dead. Um, another science fiction allusion for uh, those of you who have some imagination. <clears throat> when Captain Kirk is beamed up from a planet uh, in a teleporter, uh, is he physical on the planet? Yes. Is he physical on the Starship Enterprise? Yes. All right, no, there isn't really teleporter technology. But the point is that it is not some kind of conceptual impossibility like 2 plus 2 equals 5 to imagine that a physical person should be able to, you know, materialize on the opposite side of a physical wall. Um, and all the more so when we have a person to whom miraculous powers are ascribed. Um, it's it's interesting. Uh, Allison mentions Martin Luther as mentioning that Jesus could walk through walls. So what? I mean, hi. I'll mention that Jesus could walk th- through walls. I'll say, yeah, probably he could. But here I am arguing very strongly for the robust bodily resurrection. And if you if you read others of Luther's works, he says that Jesus rose from the dead um, after three days. So that his corpse would not see corruption. So there's a there's a strong literal bodily resurrection view for you. So you're not you're not going to uh, legitimately recruit Martin Luther as having any doubts about the robustly physical nature of Jesus' resurrection. Um, and he he also mentions um, in a footnote in his book that uh, Thomas Aquinas deals with this objection in the Summa. And uh, also, Aquinas is talking there about the fact that sometimes Jesus seems to have uh, vanished abruptly, like in the uh, Emmaus Road experience. And uh, I posted this on Facebook recently. Uh, Dr. Ellison, it says in a footnote that Aquinas struggles with the status of Jesus' post-resurrection body. So I went and looked it up. Summa uh, 54, answer 2. I, I, I'm not seeing Aquinas struggling. Uh, he's answering the objection. I'm not seeing struggling. I think struggling means, you know, doesn't agree with um, with a scholar. You know, Aquinas is struggling because he doesn't agree with me. So it says, uh, I think, is in, in Allison's mind there. Um, Aquinas isn't struggling. He just answers it, and he says, Jesus could do miracles. God you know, and, and this is just obvious. This is an obvious answer. How did Jesus turn water into wine? Are we you know, how did Jesus walk on the water? And so forth. Jesus obviously has a a more powerful relationship to matter than we do. That doesn't mean he's less physical than we are, either before or after his resurrection. Um and Aquinas also says that if he wanted to vanish from before them, he could do that, you know. So that's not Aquinas struggling. Now, this leads me to um, obfuscation number five. This is, again, a method, like question bombing, and this is cherry-picking. So here's a here's a quotation, um, again, from Allison's book. It is equally anonymous that, according to the reports, When the risen Jesus appeared, some who had known him failed to recognize him or doubted what they saw. Something more than run-of-the-mill perception was involved. The appearances rather had uncanny features that suit visionary experiences better than everyday see it. So I want you to notice that this is supposed to be a generalization about the reports. Okay? So he's, he's taking the reports and he's trying to tell us what we're going to get according to the reports. So he's kind of tacitly doing a, a, a best explanation type of inference, supposedly based on the data of the reports. If you're going to do that, you cannot cut whole swaths out of the reports, invent reports that we don't have, and then tell us what the appearances suit you know what it, what is the best thing that suits the appearances what's the explanation that best suits the appearances as reported in the Gospels uh, and that's exactly what's going on um, for example elsewhere if there was a second source and here he's talking about something that Ignatius said about Jesus resurrection body it was like Luke 20. 4, 36 to 43, and John 20, 26 to 29, probably a version of Jesus' appearance to the twelve expanded for apologetical purposes. So he's definitely saying that these very physical appearances in Luke and John, you know, they're, they've been embellished for apologetical purposes. Elsewhere, John's second story of an appearance to the disciples, the unforgettable episode with Doubting Thomas, does not follow the pattern of the other appearances to the Twelve, and it is unparalleled elsewhere. In the eyes of many modern scholars, it does not look like an independent account, but rather as though it has been largely spun out of the preceding paragraph. I share their judgment. So he's explicitly saying the Doubting Thomas episode was made up. Okay, so what are we doing? We're trimming... The physical stuff out of the accounts, I emphasize that John 20 is the very same account that says that the doors were shut and Jesus came in. It's the very same account from which we're getting the Jesus could walk through walls objection. John doesn't apparently think that's a problem. And then moves on and tells of Jesus appearing to Thomas in front of the others and saying, reach here your hand and he mentions the door was shut again uh in that doubting thomas episode so what we're doing is we're cherry picking and then we're making a generalization about what the appearances uncanny features suit and that's not that's not legitimate Now, you might try to say, oh, well, if you're a skeptic, you're going to have to leave out some aspects of the appearances. Not in this sense, no. So suppose some lady tells me that she had a long conversation with her deceased husband and that they had tea together. I am not likely to believe that she really had tea with her deceased husband, but I'm not going to be able to say, well, it probably wasn't part of her report that she had a long conversation and had uh, tea with her deceased husband. You know, I mean, she, she told it to me. It's, it's, all, it's all one report. So I can be skeptical of the truth of that report while still saying, yes, you know, these, these features are in the report. So no, you don't have to trim out certain features of the reports and say they weren't even there originally they were added later for apologetical purposes in order to be skeptical and take them to be non-veridical. Okay, so that's that's not necessary. And it, it's not legitimate to cherry pick and then make some kind of generalization about, according to the reports, these look like visions. <clears throat> Actually, according to the reports, <clears throat> these don't look like visions at all. Okay, they they're very physical, both in Uh, Luke and in John. So cherry-picking data, okay. And obfuscation number six, Jesus is with me. He's not thousands of miles away in outer space or in another universe, or something. This actually came up in the dialogue with uh, Justin Bass, and credit to uh, Justin Bass. He pushed back. He said something like, well, I think Jesus was pretty close to the Apostle Paul. In other words, that the Apostle Paul saw no conflict between Jesus having a physical resurrection body and Jesus being close to him personally. Okay, so that is... I don't. I don't know what um, fallacy to call that. It, you could call it a lot of things. You call it a straw man. That people who believe in the robust physical resurrection, you have to believe that Jesus is not with me, but he's thousands of miles away. You could call it a false dilemma. That either you have to question or fuzzify the bodily resurrection, or, or you are have to deny that Jesus is is with you. Um, you could call it equivocation on presence you know jesus presence with me um so it's like jesus is in my heart or jesus is here with me or wherever two or three are gathered there jesus is in the midst of them um or even jesus is present in the sacrament of course there are many different views of the sacrament um Catholics believe in transubstantiation, that the substance of Jesus' body and blood are underlying the accidents of bread and wine. I hold to a spiritual real presence view in the sacrament that He's spiritually present. But neither of these is the same sense of presence in which Jesus was present to the disciples in the upper room. There was there were no other accidents, you know. I mean, it's not like they just had a piece of bread there and thought it was Jesus that they were actually able to see and touch him and hand him, you know, food to eat and everything. So that's a terrible, terrible uh, attempt to question, cast doubt upon the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Well, I think Jesus can be present now. He's not thousands of miles away. Terrible argument. So don't mistake obfuscations that are meant to cast doubt on the Bodily resurrection for mere differences of opinion between Christians who affirm the bodily resurrection, differences of opinion about the nature of Jesus' resurrection body, where they both definitely assert that he had a resurrection body. That's not what these are. These are ways of questioning and doubting the bodily resurrection, and they, they've been around for a long time. So I think we should recognize them. And, you know, I'm getting these from Dr. Allison because. That's what comes ready to hand. As I say, these have been around for a long time. Uh, and the, the old modernist project in the 20th century, um, the 19th century skeptical project uh, brought these in in force. Um, they're not new, but that certainly doesn't make it conservative to hold them. Uh, and it doesn't make it orthodox. But more important, they are not good objections okay epistemologically these are just obfuscations we should not allow ourselves to be thrown by them or bullied by them or made to feel that if we uh reject these obfuscations and we hold to a robust body that jesus had that had real hands and real feet and um and so forth real side uh, real scars and uh real atoms even i would say likely um then we're somehow silly, hyperliteralist, fundamentalist, or something of that kind. Um, that kind of that kind of contempt is not an argument either, and we should be prepared just to answer it and uh, not to be bothered by it in the slightest. If the evidence supports it, and of course I've argued elsewhere that the evidence does support the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and if it does, then let's affirm it boldly. Thank you for watching, please be sure to like and subscribe to the Lydia McGrew channel where we're making common sense rigorous.